You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And today we are going to talk about setting boundaries. This is kind of a hot topic these days. It is. Well, back in 1992, the year my dear husband and I were married, (laughs) Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend wrote a gem of a book called Boundaries. And since then, it's sold millions of copies. And you can find all kinds of spinoffs now from this original book. Boundaries in marriage, boundaries in dating, boundaries with friends. Yeah. So if you don't have a copy of this yet, if you haven't read it, run. Do not walk to to your local bookstore and buy one. Uh, It's kind of become a buzzword that I hear a lot lately. And it's something that you and I have delved into ourselves with a group of 30-somethings. And I I think each generation sort of discovers this in their own time. Yeah. As we age. it's, It's critical. And if you can really do this in your 20s. Yay, like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't done it and you're you're in your 30s, do it now. Right. It's a great time to do it. So a boundary by definition is some sort of dividing line. It's a point that you're not supposed to cross. Well, what is it when it comes to relationships, though, which is what we're talking about today? How do you set them? And can you abuse or overuse that concept? And when do we even know that we might need to set some? I think that's part of our problem in our 20s is we don't even know. Yeah, who we are, let alone who we are in relation to other people. Right. We're leaving our home and we're becoming kind of our own person. And yeah, we don't we don't notice the need to even do this. So according to Cloud and Townsend, here are some red flags that might mean your life could use some boundaries, whether it's a mental boundary, spiritual, physical or emotional boundary. All right. Your life feels out of control. Okay. Yeah, you're constantly running around trying to meet other people's needs. Mm -hmm. You're late all the time. Things like that. Uh, Trying harder isn't working. Yeah, you're (laughs) just tried and tried and tried and nothing's changing. Being nice out of fear. Fear of how they'll respond. Fear of being rejected. Fear of lots of things. Mm -hmm. Taking responsibility for others isn't working. Yeah. You don't know what's your responsibility and what really isn't. And the inability to say no. I have an email sitting in my inbox right now from four days ago trying to figure out how to say no. (laughs) I'm like, man, I thought I was beyond this. Yeah, it's hard to disappoint or let down or feel like you are. Yeah, really. So in a Christian worldview, a lot of us hear the concept of boundaries and immediately think, oh, it sounds selfish. If someone asks us to lead a ministry at church, how can we say no? Right. And I thought that for a long time. I really struggled with that. I mean, am I not supposed to be nice? Am I not supposed to, you know, but that's not what it means at all. Am I not all. supposed to help the poor? <laughs> I mean, that's what I find myself asking. Right, give your give everything away and, and give it all to the poor. Isn't that scriptural? It is. It is. So if you don't, what does that say? Are your boundaries wrong? No. No, they're not. So straight. this is straight from Townsend and Cloud's book. We are responsible to others and for ourselves. I love this concept. This is an interesting distinction. So Galatians 6.2 says, tells us to carry each other's burdens. Because sometimes, obviously, we have burdens that are too big to bear. We've all experienced that where we would gladly drop everything, right? To show up for a friend or family member who's grieving or in despair. Mm -hmm. Of course. Absolutely. Carry each other's burdens, of course. 
But just a few verses later, in verse 5, Paul writes, each one should carry his own load. So which is it? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) I really want to know. I know. So we have burdens and we have loads. And there must be a distinction because he used two different words there. So everyone has responsibilities, areas of our own lives that we have to take ownership of. That's what we mean by load. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Right. Our feelings, our attitudes. Right. It's not just actions or tasks on a list. It's all of you. Yes. All of you. And then burdens, on the other hand, is excess burdens. Load means like cargo or daily toil. And the the problem arises when people act like their burdens are daily loads and refuse help. Or... Mm -hmm. The reverse. If their daily loads are boulders, like they shouldn't have to carry, oh, I can't have self-control. Right. Yeah, I can't. (laughs) Like, I can't do the adulting thing. Right. And the important thing, I think, here, when we're looking at what boundaries are, what they're intended for, is they're not these solid, impenetrable walls. We're not inside of our own little fortress. Absolutely. I think this is culturally where... um, we are when people say boundaries, just in the general population, people think I'm putting up some walls and you can't cross over here. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not. I mean, it's it's like a fence. Mm-hmm. Um, they help us keep the good things in and the bad things out. And we have to open the gate every now and then. Right. To let bad things like sin, wrong beliefs, bad behaviors out and let the truth in. From a mentor or a coach or a teacher or something mm-hmm. like that, right? So of course, the mature adult person needs to confess and communicate our pain and our issues with other people so we can find healing. Of course, we need to let others speak truth to us and be teachable and be open to learn and grow. Yeah, and and I think lots of times you'll find people who've been abused or traumatized make boundaries walling themselves off because of the pain and the fear. It's it's like a learned sure protection. survival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does temporarily prevent the pain, but it also cuts you off from all these beautiful concepts like love and positive connection and vulnerability where you don't get smashed and slaughtered, you know? You you're <laughs> right. vulnerable and it's beautiful. Right. I think in its simplest sense, we were talking before this aired that it's just expressing your needs. Mm-hmm. to another person honestly and lovingly and hearing and listening, mm-hmm. right? And yes. then there's some consequences and some rules that you kind of set for how this is going to go forward. But scripture nowhere says you should wall yourself off from others, whether yeah. it's to keep yourself safe from this trauma maybe that you've had in the past or to punish somebody else. Yeah. Because I don't like what you said to me. Right, right. I mean, you. the only, I'm, think, I'm just thinking here on the fly. I haven't researched this, so there's probably other examples. But the walls you see in scripture, they're actually physical walls around cities mm-hmm. to, you know, to keep people out. And, to, and when people wanted to take over, they knocked those walls down. That's not what we're talking about Mm-mm. in relationships. We're talking about like that invisible fence that your puppy dog that's a great way to put it yeah Yeah. (laughs) where you know they get a little close to it and it makes a little beep beep sound uncomfortable and then Mm -hmm. you know if they really like dash across it then they get the shock right so let's talk about different kinds of boundaries so put a little flesh on these bones great this concept Mm -hmm. of boundaries so physical boundaries 
All right. So this is one of the first things we teach our kids. Um, right. We teach them how to say no, how not to hit or bite. You don't really have to teach them how to say no. <laughs> I think they come out of the womb. That's true. That's their first word. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, don't, um, like you don't necessarily have to let Aunt Jean smother you with kisses. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, uh, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Yes. Yeah. Who allowed, Who is allowed to touch them? And what to do when they're uncomfortable, that's probably at the forefront of most parents' minds. Right. And I've talked to lots of young moms who are like, can I, can I empower my child to say that? And I'm like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. please. Some kids love physical touch and they're real huggers and some kids are not. And I think with boys in particular who wrestle and get physical a lot – Sometimes there's natural consequences where they learn those boundaries of, ow, okay, that hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not going to do that anymore. But they also need to learn verbal boundaries. Yeah. Like, okay, I don't want to be tickled. Stop yeah. tickling me. Yeah. And then the other person needs to respect that. Right. That's a basic physical boundary. Which is, you know, rough and tumble play, we know from all of these different podcasts we've done, is critical for boys in particular. Mm-hmm. And they do learn those boundaries. Like, how far is too far? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, your arm doesn't bend that way. I'm not <laughs> supposed to do that. Oh, wait, my thumb in your eye. That's not a good idea. Right, right. You know? <laughs> like, um, it's, yeah, it's really important. So, yeah. Okay, so that's physical. So there's also speech boundaries, which is what you were saying earlier, saying no. Um, it's okay to say no to being screamed at, humiliated, or insulted. How will you accept being talked to? This is as a parent, as a sister, as a mom, as a spouse. Think about how you allow your children to talk to you. Is there a lot of sass or disrespect or contempt? Yeah, if there was, what did you do in your house? I know what we, we did. Well, for us, um, speech, like everything else, was a freedom. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you'd have to express, you know, that's not how we treat other people. <laughs> and here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's how it feels to me when you do that. And um, you'd have to work through it. And, and I'm sorry for that. Will you forgive me that whole process? But then also you might lose the freedom to speak for a while. Mm-hmm. Your speech is a gift. It should be used for good. So. Which is tricky. It, I mean, you can, you can do this once they're a little bit older, but I'm thinking with Dottie Lou, she's one. Mm-hmm. So when she starts yelling. Yeah, inside voice. In a store, yeah. I'm like, oh, let's use our inside voice. And just starting that process with her. But yeah, I would just sometimes make them go back and try again. If it wasn't like super insulting and bad, mm. it was just kind of a little demanding or sassy. Yeah. Be like, okay, I'm going to set a little five minute timer. You can just come back and try that again mm-hmm. in a different voice. I need you to use your manners. That applies to whining and oh yeah, all of that stuff. Absolutely. That's a great, yeah, a great tool. Um so speech also applies to saying no sometimes to pressures or demands of others, like that email that's sitting in your inbox. I know. I'm convicted. Because you don't want to endanger that relationship. So maybe you outwardly comply, but you're inwardly resentful. Yeah. Darn it. I don't want to have to do that, but I guess I will. Yes. Yeah. Does that mean that you never do anything that you don't want to do? No. There, listen, you can't be a parent if you think you're going to do <laughs> You get to get, take a pass on things you don't want to do. No, yeah, you, you definitely do things you don't want to do. But if I, I don't want to commit to um, like a six-month class, mm-hmm. maybe teaching or facilitating a six-month class, if I really don't think I have the time mm-hmm. to commit to that in a way that will be beneficial for the students mm-hmm. and make me will make me resentful. 
but yeah, I mean, certainly do I, do I change my schedule in my day? If something comes up, if a friend needs help? Yeah, I do. I I'll do say too. yes to things that are inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Character building. What I have learned not to do though, is when it's a chronic thing that keeps coming up and over and over, like people just drop in consistently with no warning. Um, I used to drop everything thinking that was my responsibility and I can't say no, it would be rude. But then I was thinking, you know, that's not really respectful of my time either or my schedule or my day kind of throws things into a tizzy. So every now and then, yeah, I'll still drop things when they drop in and say, Hey, or whatever. Sure. I'll go for lunch. But a lot of times now I am okay saying I'm not going to be able to make that today. Yeah. I'm, you know, Glad you're in town, but I've got this other stuff going Mental on. I've already note, planned it. Don't drop in your house unexpectedly. <laughs> I'm glad I don't do that. No. <laughs> Every now and then is okay. <laughs> but it's true. Even now with phone calls, I've noticed the etiquette is to just send a quick text. Hey, can you take a call right now? Mm-hmm. And I just try to respect that general cultural boundary. That is such a great example. But I have older people in my lives, maybe 60 something and up Mm -hmm. who don't do that. They're from the days of the phone on the wall, right? (laughs) Where you just pick up and call and I don't expect that from them. And I know I can just call them on the fly too. They might not even check their text. That's right. Message. So I'm trying to be appropriate where I'm applying these boundaries. Great generational example. We just had Jessica Stallings holder on here to talk about generations. That's so true. I would never not answer a phone call from my dad, who was in his 80s. But when it's a peer, I feel like it's aggressive. Yeah. Like, don't call me. Just text me and I'll get back to you when I can. You're like, yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, the culture has changed. When my mom calls, I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably need to grab that. If she were on here, she'd say, like, you don't. You never write. You never call. <laughs> but I try to grab it. And I, I, my problem is I forget it's on silence so many times. My kids get mad about that too. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I'll try to grab it from her, from, you know, my friend Curry. He's 82. I'm just going to grab it, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, but other people, no. It does feel a little aggressive, doesn't it? It does. So, okay, I know I'm not being screened then. Uh, yeah. It's just You're I'm not. not being respectful of your time when I call you. I never call you. <laughs> I know. We're both happy about that, actually. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> quick little text no problem thanks all right another boundary is time or distance so often this happens for parents and children at the end of the senior year (laughs) yeah it's just a natural thing yeah they're like they're developmentally they're ready to separate from you i hear this from a lot of parents oh i'm ready i'm ready (laughs) get out (laughs) yeah so they're just they're they're learning who they are this is that's why i say in your 20s this concept is critical because it really is the time you're learning who you are apart from your family mm-hmm. of origin. And you go out into the big wide world and go, wait a second, everybody else's family doesn't operate like mine. Right. And it's really an awakening in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that time away, that first semester of college, you know, seven hours away, let them stay there. Mm-hmm. Don't be dropping in on them all the time for the weekend. Don't be calling them all the time. Give them their time and space. So did you do that with your parents? When my parents dropped me at school, I I didn't remember this, but they certainly did. They told me recently it was six weeks before I picked up the phone and called them. I've probably called sooner than that, but it's long distance back then and it costs money. mm -hmm. So I was told 
you know, call if you need to, but otherwise, no news is good news. Isn't that such a fundamental shift oh, in totally. the parenting? Yeah. So they were dying. They were like, please call. <laughs> like, But they were like, we're not calling first. We need to let her mm-hmm. kind of establish herself there. And yeah, they it, and it worked. It was great. And then I called homesick, apparently, not long after that. Yeah, because eventually you will. I was desperate to back. get home. I was like... <gasps> I had no memory of this. And they said, um, we made arrangements. We said, okay, if you can get a ride to Little Rock, we'll get you a plane ticket. And then all of a sudden I said, oh, I'm okay. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just knowing you could. That was it. Enough. That mm-hmm. was it. So that was a beautiful example of, of boundaries in that launching period. Yeah. That's good. And another one, Bonnie, what is it? Uh, choices. So trying to lay responsibility of your own choices on somebody else by saying stuff like, well, I had to, or or he made me. That you know? triggered me. If one of my children said that other person made them do something mm. out of line, I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> you were tempted and took the bait, but in the end, it's on you. Yeah. Your choices are your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Period. Nobody absolutely. else made you do anything. Absolutely. And I see that, again, in the young adults that I love and work with a lot that um, they come to this awakening that like, even though things might have been kind of yucky mm-hmm. in their family of origin, in the end, as they launch into adulthood, they have the choice of what kind of life they want to live. Am I going to be happy? So empowering. Or am I going to always blame my parents for every bad feeling I have or every you know, mistake I make? Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, when you start taking responsibility for your choices, it's really actually empowering. Yeah. Way more empowering than blaming other people. Yeah. The blame shifting. This victim role. So it's really, really helpful. We can lay all these things out, physical, speech, time and distance and choices. Um, But it's really helpful to have somebody else, a counselor maybe, or a trusted mentor or a very, very close good friend who's wise to help you set those boundaries. Because a lot of us, well, relationships are just important to us. And many of us are trained or conditioned to do or say anything out of fear of losing them. And and honestly, we don't really see ourselves or know ourselves all that well. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can comprehend it? It's hard to comprehend your own heart. It is. And someone else can come in and say, you know, I've noticed you do X, Y, Z in, in this circumstance all the time. A lot of times I'm like, huh, I do? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> And to have somebody help walk you through that, um, it's just really enlightening. Mm-hmm. It can be really insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can amen that. You have somebody help you mm-hmm. who knows you and loves you. It, someone that you'll feel not feel unsafe if they tell you these things like unloved. Because it feels yeah. really yucky when you start to hear like, oh, I do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, for example, if you're complaining, one of the red flags, if you're complaining, my life feels so out of control. I'm so constantly crazy all the time and I have no margin in my life. If you have a lunch date with a friend and you're saying that all the time, then pause for a second and ask that friend, do you see that in me? Mm -hmm. Like, do you see ways that I could make that better or create some margin in my life? What what areas do you think? Mm -hmm. That's a little vulnerable place to be. Yeah. But that's the gate that you were talking about earlier in your wall that you're opening up to let some truth in. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, then you're just going to be crazy, busy, out of control forever. Yeah. And which, which is better. Those of us who have a hard time with feedback. So like 
the perfectionists, mm-hmm. the try really harder pre- people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to hear feedback about yourself. So you, you really you got to get brave. And again, if it's somebody who loves me, if it's my husband or a trusted friend, okay, I can hear that. And then, because I know they know other good things about me too. Yeah. But doing something poorly, it just is like a knife to the heart for me. <laughs> I, I get that. Totally. So it, it, I don't like it. Right. And But it's it's just a lazy, safe place for me to stay when I'm like, I don't want to know, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Um, And others can also, if you're they're telling you where your boundaries are kind of maybe weak, they can also help you create consequences for trespassing. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, wow, that's a big one. I think a lot of um, older adults, parents have trouble with kids, for example, who are maybe drinking or abusing alcohol or drugs or whatever, addict Mm -hmm. kind of behaviors. And then you see this... um, codependency or this enabling behavior mm-hmm. because they want so desperately to help and what what they're not doing is helping mm-hmm. so the boundary would be like let some natural consequences happen mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what needs to happen in that adult child's life as much as you don't want to see it that's what's going to make them go oh wait life isn't yes. working the way i thought it was yeah it's easy when mom and dad are paying my rent and picking up the tab and cleaning up the pieces behind me but when they're not, I've got to take some responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, this goes back to that that really helpful question, even from the very first days of childhood as I was parenting. What are they characterized by? This is how you're going to know if you're constantly rescuing mm-hmm. and allowing them to trespass. Is my child characterized by this? Or is this a one-off or just an odd situation? Because if you have really clear well, boundaries of your own and really like a really clear internal sense of what's right and wrong, you know, you could come across too hard. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've seen yeah. the opposite be true as well, where a child, you know, like an adult child, like a college student is, um, they ran their debit card yeah. and it gets declined and they call the parent for help and the parent's like, well, wasn't that too bad? Yeah. Okay. Well, Yes. Sucks for you. Yes, it is very, very bad. They're they're mortified standing there in the store or wherever they are. And um, are they characterized by that, mm. or was this a this a mistake that we can recover from and we can learn? Maybe maybe put a little money in the account if it's the first time it's happened. Sure. Yeah, of course. So, um, but so if they're coming to you every week, oh, hey, can you spot me twenty bucks? Yeah. Or hey, I ran out of gas. Can you give me this? And that happens all the time. Then at some point you're like, you know, you got a year old enough to figure yeah. all that stuff out. Yeah. You problem solved this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I believe you got the skills to do it. Yes. You can do it. Yeah. All right. So. You cannot change or set limits on other people. Mm. You can only do that for yourself. So in the scenario, the parent can't change that child. That's right. But they can set limits for themselves and vice versa. Mm -hmm. If the parent's intruding, 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 they can't change the behavior of the parent, but they can set limits for themselves and what they're going to do. Right. But that gets tricky because here's what the deal, Bonnie. I see a lot of kids misapplying this. Okay. Um, so if, okay, if a young adult has someone who is, 
um, berating them, verbally abusing them, Mm -hmm. shaming them Mm -hmm. every time they're together, insulting them, expecting you to drop everything, um, you know, not respecting that you have a life too. And you might need to put a lunch date on the calendar and not just get a call 10 minutes before you want to meet every time. Mm -hmm. Okay. That I, I get that. Like you, you, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not up for telling people they have to expose themselves to people who are constantly insulting or abusing them or shaming them. No, but I'm also not for saying that person is out of my life forever. Like you, you get zero access to me forever more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's tricky because I think um, we have several generations now of people who are, have come from really unhappy homes. Yeah. And their parents didn't get the help that they needed to maybe overcome their own baggage. And so uh, what I try to tell young people is, okay, how can you have exposure to this person in a way that sets them up for success to behave in a way that's appropriate? So that's really generous and mature. (laughs) Well, I mean, I get really frustrated on the inside. I'm super frustrated with the older adult who should know better and who should have already done the work Mm -hmm. in their own lives. But we, again, we cannot control what someone else does. So, um, for example, if a mom is constantly berating, um, a young woman every time they have a phone call, I just said, how about you just meet in public? Take no, take any more calls, have a coffee date mm-hmm. and see so that it's less if likely she behaves herself there to be in, a big, yeah. Mm-hmm. See if she behaves herself in the restaurant, if she behaves herself in the restaurant, well, Hey, now you've got a way you can communicate with that person. Um, and that is their consequence. They don't, now they don't get to talk to you on the phone. But you're doing the boundaries thing like you do the funnel thing with your kids. Mm. You, you bring them out and go, hey, okay, let's try that Can I call. trust you here? Can, Can I, I not trust and, you here? Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant kind of testing because what only in the most extreme circumstances would I say cut people off where you're in danger. Yeah, I you agree. Know, I, I agree. I have dealt with women who have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to tell them. No, of course with not. That person. No, you should not. Uh, Let's just be clear. Yeah. You should not. But um, but the nagging mom is not the same as the uncle or dad who's abused yeah. you. Right. And so um, the simple, easy thing is to just cut them off. That's the lazy thing, quite frankly, mm. is to just cut them off. Because mm-hmm. relationships are work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's... That whole scenario of the phone call and the meeting at the restaurant is the perfect example of why I think you need somebody to help you walk through that. Because I don't know that that would necessarily occur spontaneously mm-hmm. to somebody who's in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I um, this young person graciously let, let me into her life. And I was noticing, like, she just became the worst version of herself mm-hmm. around her mom. And... I was like, oh, you say that you're a Christian. It's very clear. You have to honor your parents. Now, how can you honor and respect your parents? And. And honor your own personal boundaries now that you're out of the house. And, and let yourself, yeah, not not let yourself be talked to in certain ways and not let yourself. Don't take the bait, which is so sad when you see an adult baiting their child mm-hmm. to be their worst self. But um, it, it was transformational, really. Um, and she was able to. Um, have some relationship 
and ways that were healthier. And I got to say, when when a lot of young people start doing this, the authority, former authority figures who are now their peers, parents <laughs> in particular, pitch a fit a little bit mm. for the first little bit. They, they're like, whoa, wait a second. I think par- we parents sometimes have a hard time transitioning, even when we're trying to um, peer status with our children. And I know when my kids went to college, I did. I had trouble going, oh, wait, I, I can't tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still have some authority if I'm helping you financially and that kind of thing. But we are moving to a more of a mutuality relationship. And we had some, probably some of our most significant miscommunications hmm. as they were launching into adulthood. And I had to do some work in my own life and go, okay. Oh, well, yeah, you've never done your, this before either. Right. You're learning too. Let's give each other some grace here. Right. And just communicate. And yes. And just go, oh, okay, that when I did this, you felt like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can I? Uh, that seemed valid to me. So I'm like, how can I not do that again? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a beautiful place to be. And it never really ends. We have to do it at, with our parents as they age. Um, sure. We've seen, you know, I see different interactions with people our age and middle age mm-hmm. where the parents maybe become a little more dependent. Yeah. On Role them. Shifts. Roles and, shift all the time. Nothing yeah. is ever static. And, so, And now it's the parent calling, calling, calling. Yes. Can you help me do this? Can you help me do this? And you've got to figure that out again. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you, you can't just go, oh, I've put up a boundary. Yeah. Not taking your call. <laughs> I know. 82-year-old parent. It's so... When you say it like that, it seems ridiculous and hurtful and spiteful. And it is. In effect, it is. When people just cut other people out of their lives, it it can be very hurtful and devastating. Um, There was this recent article on Breakpoint that kind of got me thinking about family and biological family and church community context and what it's actually for, which is kind of what you were hinting at there. And Stone Street and Leander write that family is no accident of history, no social construct that can be replaced. It is so woven into the fabric of biology that no society that has rejected it has survived. So Joshua Coleman wrote this article in The Atlantic, and he had done lots of studies on parental estrangement, which I found super fascinating that it has grown so rapidly in the past decade. Um, In one survey of moms aged 65 to 75, one in 10 reported being estranged from an adult child, and some 62% reported contact less than once a month. Oh. Isn't that sad? That means a lot of lonely people in the world, a lot of hurting lonely people, which there already are, so we're adding to that burden. Wow. And part of the beauty, I think, of biological families, the structure of them inherent, is that they're built around obligation, They are not merely there for our own personal self-fulfillment. Like what you mentioned earlier in cases clearly where there's abusive, um, controlling, or using this tired word, toxic, you do need to, you know, maybe limit your contact Mm -hmm. altogether with something like that. But I don't think that is the norm. No. I think that's the exception. I think we stick the label toxic on way too many things Mm -hmm. you know toxic is to me is dangerous i think of it in terms of like a household chemical Mm -hmm. it's poison and an annoying person is not toxic (laughs) to me they're just annoying right 
that's that's right. Man, they really made me mad about that. So that doesn't mean that they're toxic and they need to be shut out forever. Right. So the spirit of this age that we're in right now, I think, is one that teaches us to prefer the company of those who ask less of us. That's what Stone Street and Leander said. Um, It's so true. Listen, you guys live in the world of pets. You've made your whole livelihood. Your husband's a vet. There, I just read an article recently. We prefer our dogs to children. Mm. We we have more in our pet episode. I think we said there are more pets in American households than there are children mm-hmm. in American households. Why? Because they're so much less demanding. <laughs> for one thing, yes, less high maintenance. They don't, and and they have a shorter lifespan. And you can stick them in a cage. Mm and you know walk away and then come back and they fulfill you in lots of ways and they don't speak to you the way your two-year-old speaks to you there's it's so much less demanding and i listen i love my dog i'm four dogs i'm not saying like boo you shouldn't love your pets Mm -hmm. i'm just saying what i'm noticing that we prefer the company of those who require less of us i think that is such a profound cultural shift that one sentence right there. Oh. Um, that we just need to maybe dig into a little bit and ask ourselves when we're ready to say, okay, enough with you. You're dead to me. You know, why is that? Is mm-hmm. it that they're really harming your spirit and soul and um, they're abusing you to the point of danger? Or is it that they really get on your nerves? They inconvenience you. Yeah. They say stupid stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't think that's a good enough reason. I don't think it is either. As a matter of fact, I've I've said for many, many years now that one, I've pondered, why did God put us in families? Why, you know, why did he put us in families? Because it's the only um, place where there are people in my life I didn't pick. Mm. And so, yep, friends are the family you didn't get born with. They're family. That's all great and everything. And in the end... So, like as Stone Street said, no society has ever survived the breakdown of the family. Mm-hmm. And, and we have obligations to one another. Right. And we have to um, set aside our differences and try to get along. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there was this great podcast I, I was listening to. Um, it's called How to Start Over. And the host of that uh, with June episode leaned into that question of like, okay, so what happens when this family conflict reaches a stalemate? You're sitting at the Thanksgiving table with grandpa and who's a right-wing conservative. And this leftist atheist aunt is sitting across the table from you. Like, what do you do with that? I'm sure nobody has that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just cracking up. We all have it. We all have it. Ah. Um, Well, the, the true, real best answer is that you see each other as people. Mm-hmm. And you listen to one another and you say, hey, tell me more about that. And you just get curious about one another. You don't just say, oh, grandpa, and you throw a fork full of mashed potatoes in his face, <laughs> which I think we're coming to as a culture. Oh, I know. So we're, we're our better selves when we are looking each other in the eye. It's easy to get nasty behind a text or an email or a social media post. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean... Sitting around that table, that's the best question to ask. Ask that. Get Jessica Holder's fun family intergenerational game. Oh, that would be amazing. Escape game for Thanksgiving. And then sit across from your crazy leftist aunt and your right wing whoever and 
engage. Yeah. Yeah. Engage. That's what your family's for. It forces you into these situations to learn more about yourself and others. I love that. So a lot of times I think you find this estrangement that's going on in today's society. Like you said, it comes from a lot of broken families. Um, I think about 70% of estranged parents had a divorce from the other parents. So if you can think about how that might go, mm. you know, step family moves in, gets replaced. There's probably issues. I know you had a really close friend who um, didn't really have contact with her dad for a while because mm-hmm. there's a lot of hurt and <laughs> dynamics that go into that. Um, but also found this was really interesting because we talk about this so much in our podcast too, that and sometimes an adult child that has been too loved one of the consequences of that anxious overparenting we talk about, um, that child sometimes has just had enough of you. And they initiate this separation seemingly out of the blue, and it's done in a really hurtful way. So I thought that was a really interesting it is. consequence of where does this end up down the road? Yeah, you see it. I mean, I've mentioned it before. You see it starting in the teen years. They're able to start to kind of express um we're not made to be idols for one another mm. and it's too much of a burden to bear. And what they're doing is they're, they're taking that burden and they're like, Nope, that's yours to carry. Mm-hmm. And they may not be able to articulate that, but they're like, I cannot bear the idolatry, the overlove, the, the, I can't be your everything. Right. I'm I think out of here. We just heard from a friend the other night that, um, Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world consistently year after year because of that kind of pressure. Mm. from parents being just so on top of their kids, having, needing them to succeed yeah, for the honor of the family and all of that. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. So um, since the mid-19th century, there has been a turn toward the individual and away from community. Now, we know this. Like So as you just mentioned, um, honor-shame cultures really value the community mm-hmm. and you know the group over the individual. We are not that way, if you have not noticed, in America. <laughs> no, we're not. We are into self-actualization and, and self-fulfillment and being true to yourself. Self-identity, all of those yeah. the catchphrases. Yeah, so the rugged individual is like an American badge of honor. So if personal growth and personal happiness is the highest value you're going to get kind of what we're seeing. Coleman says parents from the early 1900s reported wanting this for their children to be essentially church going, good citizens, good members of the community, which included respecting and honoring their parents. This reminded me of that first grade readiness from 1979 from our previous episode about teachers. Yeah. Radically different. Very different. I think today, if you ask parents what they most want for their kids, You'd probably hear that elusive happiness quote, whatever that might mean in the moment. And whether they know it or not, implying that that might or might not include mom or dad in the equation of their happiness. Are we writing ourselves out of our own kids' scripts? Yeah. That was a question that kind of came to my mind when I'm reading this article. I mean, we see it all the time now. It's, it's actually, <laughs> I've been pondering this. It seems like we're turning into an honor-shame culture overnight mm. because we're canceling each other. That's exactly what it is. It's, yeah. it's immediate cancellation if you step out of bounds. Or if you disagree my with personal, me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my personal agenda, you're out of here. You're mm-hmm. canceled. So you see it on social media now, the idea that if a person does you wrong, even once, cut them out of your life. 
There's no real attempt at reconciliation or forgiveness, which, you know, who bears that burden? You do. Mm-hmm. Who's doing the forgiving? Feels great to be forgiven. <laughs> Doesn't feel so good to, to do the forgiving. Right. Um, so there's no real attempt to understand the other person, like you were saying, or opening that gate for truth as boundaries are designed for. It's not a wall. Mm-hmm. It's a fence with a gate. Yeah. This is a... Um Improper shortcut, I think, too, mm-hmm. or a lack of understanding of what boundaries actually are. I guess the, so that problems with eliminating a person from your life are many. It cuts you off, cuts you off from your own personal and relational growth. But that pain left by the relationship remains. So it keeps you from working on implementing real and healthy boundaries. And it doesn't make those hurts go away. Mm-mm. Uh, might seem like an easy fix to avoid future pain caused by that relationship, but it doesn't undo what's already done. You have not done any of the relationship repair. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that you know in your life or I know in my life who have to try to forgive someone who's dead. Yeah. That's the hardest thing because yeah. there is no, there is no reconciliation. Mm-hmm. There is, you're, you're, you're making people dead to you when you do this That's- and and you're making it hard to forgive. Yeah, hard. And that's just, um, it feels like in the moment that you're freeing yourself from that. But what you're really doing is piling more burdens on Mm -hmm. for the future. Mm -hmm. Just to cut somebody off. At the root, it's the antithesis of how relationships are meant to work or what relationships are even for. And what that structure of family is for, like you mentioned, the people that we don't choose to be with. They're there for a reason. I don't think we were accidentally put where we're put. Yeah, I agree. So if we stick to people, and this is in any community, church community, family community, if we stick to people who just mirror ourselves, or only just like us in every single way, who believe in our same beliefs, who um, have the same hangups and addictions and problems that we do, it doesn't help us grow Mm-mm. or learn or mature. It really means something. It changes you when you have to care for a sick family member or an aging parent. It changes you in some deep and important ways that I don't think should be easily cast aside. Yeah, I, I, I've said this before. I think we should have a one semester course in high school on conflict management mm-hmm. and how to, to say things without being accusatory or um, not listening to the other person because it benefits us when we learn to work through conflict lovingly. People make whole careers out of this conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. mediators and divorce court, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, to learn to listen to other people, to let other people have a seat at the Thanksgiving table, even if we deeply disagree with them. Yeah. When we can't change others or limit others and we can only change ourselves, that is where we're practicing our most fertile growth. Yeah. Don't lose. Don't miss out on that. I mean, are you just a compilation of your opinions? Bonnie I hope not no you're a person and I think even a person you disagree with the most if you sat across from them you would find some touch point of commonality or something interesting in their personality or I'm talking small here mm-hmm. I didn't know you yeah. liked that food just find how this. interesting I don't yeah that music you like to listen to well that's so interesting yeah I think it's really hard in particular for parents and children um either way to see each other as human beings. We only see each other in the roles that we're in. Um, that's what we're used to. Yeah. And especially when you get to this launching and the as young adults going out into the world, 
um, parents really need to work hard on seeing their kid as separate from them. Like if I just met you on the road, that kind of a person Mm -hmm. and forget about all the, all the things you think, you know, about them, but just see them as a real person and vice versa. Oh, this is not just a whole reliable mom and dad. Like this is a human being with a past and problems and struggles and all that stuff. A human being who's dodged themselves about a million times for you for you (laughs) as they were raising you Mm -hmm. even the crappy parents yeah set aside something at least you're here for you Mm -hmm. and you can't you can't really know that till you do it yourself and you get the real the real picture but um i think we we curate i do i curate my news sources and my, and my social media feeds where I get the things I'm interested in that come up again yeah. and again. I don't get a newspaper on my doorstep now with stories I'm interested in and stories I'm not interested in. And it's seeping into our way of thinking mm. about people that, that my people don't have to be curated. Like my Instagram feed or my email inbox. Yeah. That, that people are people and every single one of us is made in God's image. And that brings equality of value and honor across the board even if I deeply disagree with you right even if I think you're doing things that are bad right uh, for society or bad for yourself Mm -hmm. that you're still made in God's image and and so it's it's a particular tension for this point in time because we're just becoming so um in our own little niches in our own little worlds very self focused and individual yeah just pick up your friends okay switch phones with a friend and open their instagram feed and see what ads pop up on theirs i just find it really interesting even my husband who okay we have a lot in common yeah and our feeds look really different the ads that they're curating for us Mm -hmm. and it just shows me so much how like yeah i don't like to hear what disagrees with me i only want to hear you know, what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. That don't work with people. Which is just building that wall. It is. Instead of a fence with it, a gate. It is. So be just be careful. Yeah. Be aware and be careful of doing that. Yeah. So good. We could probably do like 87 more episodes <laughs> on this. I mean, it's so nuanced and important and kind of healthy. It's, it's, um, it's a... People use it as a sledgehammer, but it's really meant to be this very, very fine, like, tool. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not sledgehammering here. We're crafting right, beautiful pathways to relationship that yeah. work. Because the relationship is the priority. Yeah. I don't think we ourselves necessarily need to be the priority. <laughs> I think the I relationship... Mean, I like being the priority. I mean, sure, we all do, but... but- not a hundred percent of the time, 24 no, seven. That's not good for me. It's not good for anybody. Yeah. So yeah. Well, there's some excellent resources at the end of this on our uh, website. So yeah. be sure to check those out and please go read this book. If read you have book. read the book, read the book. And, yes. and they added a chapter on technology because yes. we just have terrible, terrible. I was convicted this morning mm. going, okay, Renee, rein those technological boundaries in this, right. You're just letting it invade every corner of your life, every minute of your day. Yeah, well, we talked about setting boundaries for others, but that's a good boundary to set for yourself. Oh, totally. Being able to say no to yourself for Mm -hmm. destructive and bad behaviors, for sure. Let myself be bored for two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Are you crazy? (laughs) 
know. I know. It's such a good chapter. So yeah, definitely get the book. And so look on our website, justaskyourmom.com. Facebook, just ask your mom or Instagram. I just ask your mom podcast. And we'd love for you to rate us and leave a review if you're listening. We are kind of growing a little bit in our our reach Mm -hmm. and um, kind of um, popping to the top on some of the searches. So we are so thankful for you for doing that. And subscribe if you'd like to and get each new Monday episode every week. And um, send us your questions, topic suggestions. Please. This was mine. (laughs) I was like, Bonnie, please, 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 please. Can we do this? Can we? Can we? Can we? <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. Fine. So send those to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, just Ask, ask your, your Mom. mom.